Let's face it, people have different sleep needs. While you love your partner, sleeping next to them might not always be the most comfortable. Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Maybe you prefer a firmer mattress and your partner needs something softer. Because of the individualized comfort that you get from Sleep Number Smart Beds, you and your partner will sleep better together. All Sleep Number Smart Beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. And their temperature balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. The smart beds even automatically respond and adjust to your movements so you sleep comfortably all night long. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com you're the mom the maid the keeper of the cookies you do it all and you look good doing it it's parenthood on a mother level here's your host denise hanitka hey mama you are listening to episode 108 of On a Mother Level. Thank you for being here to share this episode, and hopefully you will love it and you will share it with a friend. I'm not a particularly religious person, but today I had clearly a spiritual experience on the treadmill. You know by now that I'm a Peloton cult member. Maybe I am religious. But I get so much of my strength and my power for the day from my morning workout. I'm just not the same person without it. Physically, mentally, I just like don't click quite right. And now Peloton is leaning hard into the Eminem music, which is just, if you can listen to it in your head, it's just raw, it's driving, it's angry, and it's exactly where I need it to be lately. As embarrassing as that is for a 37-year-old mother of two. Spare commentary about him as a human and misogyny. I just like, that's not what I'm super interested in right now because when I say a religious experience, it's like you start matching your pace to the beat of lose yourself. Tell me how you cannot be like just summoning forces that usually just live deep inside your legs. They sometimes weigh you down and hold you back. But today, it's like that song in my ear. I'm on the treadmill and you're like, your brow gets so tight and you scrunch your face and you undo all your Botox and you scowl as hard as you can and that music is pounding in your ears and I'm just staring out into space and dear Lord, if you see me at the Y looking like that, you just walk on by, okay? You do not contact the front desk about a mentally ill woman on the treadmill seven. You do not, okay? You just recognize she's probably listening to a Peloton Eminem song because if you're like me, you are an early 2000s teenager. And for me, Eminem was my very first concert, okay? It was at the Allstate Arena in Rosemont. And I still have the shirt from that and the energy from that run this morning. 
is all focused on this one feeling. And perhaps you're feeling it right now too. The feeling lately I'm feeling is survival. My very favorite Peloton trainer, Robin, says, okay, she says very often, you have made it through 100% of your bad days. The last time she said that, I'll be damned if I didn't burst into tears right there in the basement on that bike because what bad day have you had that you didn't think like, I literally might not make it through today. Like, I don't know how I'm supposed to put one foot in front of the other. And yes, I'm being dramatic, but like, how often are you like, I just want out of this moment. I want out of this place. I want out of this feeling survival. My guest today, Courtney, for her, survival is much more real because she has experienced death and grief very recently. It was four months after her baby boy died that she had this conversation with me. And today, as you listen, I want you to think about Courtney because it would be baby Henry's five-month birthday today. But Henry's time on earth was just 30 precious hours. He died in his mother's arms in the hospital. And she is sharing that story today from her textbook pregnancy to her cross-country move to going into labor on her due date to the acute event that still does not make any sense to her and maybe it never will. And yet, as she shares this story of survival, you will hear her talk about blessings. You will hear the way she looks for the light. You will hear a mother whose unimaginable grief includes a search for meaning and a mission to share his legacy with other families and more power in faith than I could ever muster from a spiritual experience on a treadmill, no matter what song is on. I am so inspired by Courtney. And at the end, she asks me such an interesting question. She says, you know, before she agreed to do this interview, you know, thinking about my podcast and its mission, and she thought, am I a mom who can relate? And by the end, she agreed, yes, she's a mom and she can relate. And I hope that you can relate to a tiny part of her story. You don't have to understand what it means or what it feels like to be her. But I think in some ways you'll be able to relate. So I will begin with Courtney. And I start with having her tell me about her move from the Quad Cities to North Carolina. So you are brand new to North Carolina. That's a big move from the Quad Cities. It is a big move. Yes, we moved here in July. So getting acclimated still. Yeah, so we're in North Carolina. I have some family out there, actually. Yeah, we're right outside of Raleigh. So yeah, loving being close to a big city. We're out kind of more in the suburb area. There's a ton of people moving here. So it's kind of like, oh, okay, I get it. Like there's so much going on. So we've been enjoying it. So what brought you to North Carolina? Yeah. So my husband works for John Deere. So he took a job out here at their factory. And um, it was funny. It was one of those things that when we were just like dating or engaged he was like there's one job that that I'd love to move to North Carolina for and uh it just happened to open up when I was um like five months pregnant 
that was a big, big move um, across the country, but it was, it was exciting. It is exciting to, to explore a new part of the country and, um, and take all of that on. It just, it's like looking at 2021 in general about how much of a true whirlwind it was. Um, that is definitely a big part of our story right now. Big changes for sure. Yeah. So knowing that this was a job that he'd always had an eye on to be in midway through a pregnancy, like that must've been like, oh, I really know you want this, but is this the right time? Yeah. Telling the grandmas was uh, daunting. Yeah. Um, they, they responded very well. But yeah, those conversations were were hard. But yeah, we're here and we're settled and, and trying to find the blessings through this too, um, just as we are grieving the loss of Henry. Um, yeah. I can't imagine having to do it in like a sub-zero Midwest winter. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, okay, we've got sunshine. It's pretty mild. We can be out and exploring and we're two hours from the coast. So, so when you actually moved there, you were about eight months pregnant. Is that right? More like seven, seven months when we moved. Um, yeah. Okay. I I lose track of all the, like the specific weeks and the dates and all of that, but yeah, it was, um, the dead of summer, and it was August was an interesting month. I was super pregnant. COVID was surging. We were in this new place. It was what felt like 120 degrees outside was just like, yeah, the new weather here, getting used to all of that. Um, so I kind of just hunkered down for that month and was like, no, I'm, I'm good in the air conditioning. <laughs> and then September 10th, Henry was born into our lives. Whirlwind. Was it complicated to change doctors in the middle of a pregnancy like that? Was that a worry for you? I had a very good headspace with it. Um, it was definitely challenging at times when a lot of people are moving here. So I actually contacted a few offices that said, we're at capacity. We can't take anyone more that far along in your pregnancy. I mean, just from like a hospital due date, standpoint obviously there's just some capacity limits that, <laughs> right, uh, right. that staffing can't you know exceed but also you're like on a clock so you're like yes. someone needs to see me like sometime <laughs> yes I'm like the baby is coming um so it was definitely a little hard you know you have to trust that you're gonna fall into the the hands that you're meant to be in and um the group in Davenport was really great about like they're like yeah this is awesome like cross-country move like it's you know very helpful in terms of I mean, even just like driving across the country for two days at that point, it's like, okay, get out, walk, like just all those little things that you're like, I'm super pregnant moving across the country. But yeah, I I found a clinic and and they were really great. Um, So yeah, I, I kind of just like took it head on. I didn't really feel like sitting in a lot of fear or anxiety would do much. Um, but yeah, it was definitely, definitely a lot at times to, to navigate. Well, you described overall the pregnancy as being pretty textbook. Textbook. Yes. Yep. Like, you know, those, all those milestones and, and kind of goal points to get through, um, you know, definitely like every mom goes into some of those appointments, like, okay, is everything okay? Are we on track for, for all the things? And yeah, nothing was a red flag at all. So September 10th, September 10th, what happened September 10th, or is there a lead up that gets us to September 10th. Yeah, really 
surprisingly not even much of a lead up. Um, it was my very first pregnancy. So new fresh mom, you're like, okay, I'm trying to look for the signs of labor and kind of all of that. Um, the week of September 10th, I was in a couple times to the doctor. My blood pressure was like ticking upward, but they were like, you're almost, you know, like 40 weeks like that. That's common, but they just kind of wanted to keep an eye on things. So I felt like I had exceptional care in that way. Um, so I was in a couple extra times that week. And then Thursday would have been uh, the ninth. And I saw um, the doctor and she was like, all right, we're going to induce you on Sunday. Like things are right there. Your due date's tomorrow. We're going to induce you. So, you know, I go home that night and I'm like, okay, uh, bags are packed. Like you're just kind of thinking of all those last minute things. And actually this is kind of funny because I was in a parking garage to go into the doctor that day. And before I got out of my car, I had taken the turn a little tight, right? So I like scraped the car and, but you're like going into this like appointment and you're like, okay, I don't, I don't know what they're going to tell me at this appointment. Am I having a baby today? Like, there's just all these questions, right. That you're oh, like yeah. on your mind. So anyway, I completely forget about scraping the car. <laughs> and so weeks later, my husband took my car somewhere and then he comes back and he's like, I think someone, I think someone hit our car in the parking lot. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like really? And like, how bad is it? Like, I mean, I'm in the middle of like, not know. So I don't know why this is just funny to recollect, but I think every mom can relate to like those final moments in your head of like, I don't know, my bags in the backseat packed. I don't know if I'm going into labor today or having a baby. So anyway, I just like to tell that story because like, it was literally like a month later. Okay. So the day that I went in the day before our due date, like that's the last thing from my mind to remember now. But anyway, so Thursday the 9th, they sent me home and I was going to be induced Sunday. Um, but I went into labor. I slept awful. I was having a ton of back pain that night. Um, took a bubble bath, went into labor, started having, you know, when you're, I don't know, first time mom, you're like asked if you've had contractions and you're like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I I don't know. And so I was the first one happened and I'm like, Oh, that is a contraction. Um, so that probably happened. Yeah. Around like 4am on my due date and everything progressed really quickly, which is kind of against everything you hear. Like, I don't know. I feel like you're always like, Oh, it's your first. It's going to be days. It's going to be right. Don't be coming in too soon. You know? And I just, that was not my experience. Everything was progressing very quickly, I thought, um, from literally first contraction at 4am. My husband was working from home that day. So we were like, okay, things are happening. It's literally my due date. So kind of go time, you know, makes sense anyway. And things were getting pretty, pretty intense and close together. We went on a walk and kind of were just like, okay, starting to, to time and all of that. And I was just like, wow, this just seems like very quick, like, right. So I'm timing and I'm like, listen, you know, all the things you're supposed to be doing. And around noon, just had this feeling. I was like, I haven't felt him moving. I just had this like gut feeling that that wasn't right. So my husband was kind of wrapping up a few things, um, with work. And I was like, I'm just, I'm going to do the 
drink something cold and sweet, drink some cold lemonade, laid on my left side. And what my doctors had told me that week with movements was wait 30 minutes. And if you don't feel two kicks, drive to the hospital. And I, I did that. I laid, laid on my left side. And after about 20, I didn't even wait 30. I didn't feel him at all. And I was like, I'm, we're going, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not an expert, but I know that like, I'm definitely in labor and this, there's just definitely something that isn't right. So drove straight there, got to the clinic, checked his heartbeat and said, he has a strong heartbeat. He, you are in labor. Like I'm like literally wiping the brow, right? Like everything. Okay, good. He, he's good. I think I was six centimeters at that point. So they were like, we're admitting you, you're having a baby. Um, so I was like, and she was like, Hey, pain management, like great work. Like I I was so like calm (laughs) that I still am kind of proud of that. I'm like, I was six centimeters and I, I mean, I was having, you know, some pain and things, but it just all, I was like, no, okay. Yeah. Pain management. I'm doing good. So we were admitted, um, the hospital's connected to the clinic. So we went right over and, it's very fuzzy in terms of how, how long I was actually in that labor and delivery bed, but I was on an exercise ball. I had, we were joking with the nurse about how like the monitors are made for, they're flat, not made for a round belly moves all over. And, but what kind of led next was that she wasn't able to find his heart rate. So she was like, get back in bed. I want to, I want to get this back up on the monitor. And I am so grateful for her just spot on care and attention. Like she didn't miss a beat. She was like, nope, back in bed. We're going to get you hooked up, you know, not moving around on a ball. And she couldn't find it. So quickly the room was filled with each passing minute, of course, like more veteran nurses and then calling the doctor and the doctor came in and broke my water and found that his heart rate, Henry's heart rate had plummeted to about 40 um, with no reason. I was just surrounded by all of these faces. And she again did not miss a beat and said, I'm so sorry, but we're taking you back for an emergency C-section. He's coming out right now. One of the scariest and, and saddest moments in my mind is that my husband was um, like behind all of them. So like we didn't even um, exchange like a glance at that point. Like I was rushed and I'm so grateful for like the speed. Um, I've actually met up with my labor and delivery nurse since. And she said that as she was doing the charting, it was six minutes from the call for an emergency C-section to when he was pulled out. And that is like, unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And it will always make me cry because I just, I was in the right place with the right people down the hall from an OR where they just took the absolute best care of us. I've had two C-sections. So I know like how slow and how fast they go and whatever. And no, like when I think about all the people and the things and six minutes, like blows my mind. Yes. It it, it absolutely does. Um, I'll never forget that. Like just true, like 
numb fear, all the things of being rushed down that hallway. So was it, was your husband able to follow you right in or? He was not allowed in, in the OR. Um, he was in like a room next to us. Um, and so much of that, obviously, after that point, I, I don't even know. He he has yeah. more of a, an experience with that time then. Obviously, I was under, yeah, so reason as to why that happened. And we don't know that there ever will be. There was an event and his heart rate plummeted. And within those six minutes, then it went from 40 to zero. Henry was resuscitated. And... Um, immediately under NICU care. So you get in the OR, six minutes passes, he's pulled out, does does he cry? Does, what are you seeing? What are you hearing at that moment? Are you like even conscious or did they put you out? I'm I'm completely under, yes. Okay. So I I am completely under anesthesia. Okay. That's why it was able to happen so quickly is because I was under completely. I lose track of some of the specifics behind that, but but yes, then I'm not experiencing any of this either, yeah. um, or my husband. And I think in those emergent situations, they're not, you know, they're just, their main focus is getting that baby out. Yeah. So what was his condition then when he was born? So what they would refer to it as is a really long term. Um, basically, because his brain was without oxygen for an undetermined amount of time. He started what they call a cooling process. And that is what, this is where we should have a doctor on with us. Um, That is where they are trying to protect the brain as much as possible. That's, that's their first um, line of defense is to, you know, protect the brain and blood flow and all of that. The irony of all of this is that my sister also went through this a similar trauma in June. Oh my gosh. So my nephew Nolan was born in June and um, she had a little bit of a different story, um, but she had an emergency C-section and he was without oxygen for an undetermined amount of time. So he went through this cooling process and it was several days in the NICU and he is a beautiful, thriving baby boy. And I think the shock of all of this is compounded by the fact that our family has been through this twice within 12 weeks, very different circumstances, but when we told the NICU doctor that we knew the words he was saying to us about a cooling process, no one was not shocked by like the fact that my sister had just been through this. Um, And so I think that, I think Nolan in a lot of ways helped give us a lot of hope right away. It's awful. It it sucks, but Henry's going to make it through, right? Like, you know, it was just so shocking that it was now the second yeah boy in our family um but it gave us just a lot of hope which I think protected us in some ways so let me slow you down one more time okay so because because I've been through a c-section where they put me out and things happened when I was unconscious it took me a really long time to come back to and so I have some vague memories of like being spoken to while I was under and like people telling me that things had happened and I didn't know it and whatever. So how long was it before, you know, after he was born to when you like actually could comprehend what was going on 
for me, it was like eight, nine hours. So I think that's why this is just also like yeah. fuzzy to me. Um, I remember coming to, I remember my husband coming to my side and showing me pictures of Henry mm-hmm. um, saying that Henry was very sick and that, I mean, just, just holding each other and crying essentially at that point. Um, I remember some things. I remember the nurse who was checking my, my vitals and, and with me and everything, but um, I don't remember a lot to be honest. So right away they knew Henry was going to be transported um, to UNC Chapel Hill, which was 30 minutes away. Um, so they were able to get my my bed into where he was being cared for by the SNCU team um, for me to like hold his hand and like see him, which I'm forever grateful for. But a lot of that is very fuzzy, right? So that would have been within like probably two hours of his birth. Um, I just remember like a lot of like very like physical things kind of still happening at that point. Like I had a, I must have just had a ton of like back labor because then like my back was on fire and there were just like all these different physical symptoms that were just kind of random, honestly. Um, but I was definitely very out of it. Um, but Henry was born at 5 18, um, PM and by 11 PM that night, we were calling family to let them know of his arrival and that he was going to be transported. Um, so I was with it enough to make phone calls, but I mean, I, I think that's part of this is that within the 30 hours that Henry was born and alive and um, transported and cared for at Chapel Hill, I was still very much like under anesthesia. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was still like a NICU nurse, like had to get me like a cold washcloth and like make me sit. And like, I, I mean, I could have easily passed out next to the isolate and the NICU just because I mean, yeah, postpartum, like initially or all the things, right? Anesthesia, you have. Yeah, you just had an emergency surgery. I mean, I was throwing up after like, it's, it's, it's It's a a complex time. And now you're being told your baby's transferring. Yes. Yes. So, um, quite traumatic, um, of an experience for sure, where, you know, like I said, the the NICU nurses were like caring for my child and me just wasn't such a, such a dual role situation at that point right away. So yeah, I was potentially not able to be transferred at first. And that was what I sat in my room crying about all morning. Um, my husband went to be with Henry right away in the NICU and I just, Every time someone came in to check on me, I think they saw that all that, like I needed to be with my baby and, um, they made it happen. Thankfully, honestly, with COVID was one of the reasons that, um, beds may not have been available for this transfer and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I did get transferred around 1 PM that Saturday. What a torturous night though. Torturous. Yes. Yep. And also, right. You're still like. I don't know. I I think like the shock, somehow we got some hours of sleep. I am not really sure how or why. There are some moments that are like, that will never be able to be explained. And there's 
some divine intervention. And I believe like just so many things that like were protecting us along the way. And I've talked to my mom about this quite a bit. The reason that I was able to be with Henry 30 hours after he was born and passing away in our arms was because of, I don't know, the the rest we were able to have. And honestly, some of the protection from not knowing how severe things were, I guess, if that makes sense. The doctors were saying such big words and a lot of it was not making, it wasn't, it wasn't registering. So there are just a lot of things that I believe happened to almost protect us from making it that, what, 30, 40 hours after. I mean, and then for me, I didn't sleep Thursday night. I was in labor. I like, I hadn't slept for really like days at that point, but was able to, to make it that whole time to be by his side and, um, and then to make some decisions that we never thought we'd have to decide. But um, essentially they were, he was maxed out on everything that they could try medication wise his organs never started functioning. Um, and that was kind of what our prayers were for that afternoon, um, based on what the doctors were telling us. So yeah, it's, it's, there's so many pieces to the story. It's hard to, to figure out where to even like take this, but, um, our, all four of our parents made it to meet Henry. And I believe that that was, just divine intervention. I mean, my parents had started driving late Thursday night um, when they heard he was born. And um, they that was their, my mom's plan anyway, at least was to come right away and stay with us and, and help out. So my parents were driving and uh, my husband's parents were en route from Michigan and back to Iowa and they caught a flight And they, all four of them made it to meet him. And there wasn't a lot of time once they all arrived, but we were able to baptize him with all six of us there. And that is such a blessing. I I don't even know how like that all actually happened is what I'm saying. Like that, that was not all of their plan to like come right away. And they all made it with enough time. And it's like amazing and unbelievable. That so, so based on a NICU situation, you know, the baby's, you know, hooked up to stuff and so many moms can't hold the baby for four or five days, you know, because there's this and that monitor yeah. and whatever. So was there a moment when you were allowed to hold him for the first time? How did things mm-hmm. progress? Mm-hmm. It all happened very quickly. Yeah. Um, and, and it was really hard to know the questions to ask, right? Yeah. Because he was hooked up to so many things. That's all terrifying. I mean, literally even like a few times that I would like be holding his hand or touching him or rubbing his head, like all these (laughs) sounds are going off and you're like, Oh, like your immediate response is to like, not do that. And then they're reassuring you like, Oh no, it's okay. But it's like, it's terrifying. Like you don't, you don't want to be the reason that something is happening. Um, you don't want to be in their way of this like intervention and everything. So we held him, basically everything was unhooked and we chose to peacefully end the, the interventions that they were trying with medications and 
we were able to hold him at the very end. So he was extubated. Um, we were the ones that held him um, in his final moments. Um, and yeah, it was, it was just so, everything was just A, a blur for me because of the state that I was in. B, they're using such huge words and you're trying to like, you're like, okay, I, I think I know a lot of what you're saying, but you're also like, I don't know anything that you're saying. So it just, it was just like a constant whirlwind of um, trying to even know what was happening, I guess. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I heard things that no mom should ever have to hear. Um, and thankfully the nurse, the nurse practitioner, Beth, was the one who said, I won't like they kept saying things like let us know what you need or like let us know what you want and it was like what what does that mean like what are you even you know kind of some of these vague things and then she was Beth was the first one who like hugging me and like by my side by our side was like we won't let him die in any other place but your arms and let us know what you need like in those moments and so those were the things that like snapped me the most into reality because I was not in any sort of like reality at that point. Um, but hearing those, like those words really like then made us like take the next step. We were even going back to my room. I was getting medications. Like there were just so many things happening. Um, it it was like an out of body experience, but before I even had heard those words from her, we were in my room and I knew to like get his blanket and get his little hat that I had brought. I don't think I was the one like moving my arms doing those things, if that makes sense. Like I think it was from up above. I think it was um, out of body um, because at that point I didn't even know that like he only had a few hours before he would pass away. So yeah, I, you know, we had some, some special time. It will, you know, be our only time with him on earth, um, with him in our arms and wrapped in his blankie and, and hat that, you know, we had brought for him. And, um, I mean, it's just still very surreal to even like put myself back in that moment, but, special that that he he was here and has been making an impact ever since so can you describe him for me what were some of his features that you just studied and stared at yeah in that time with him yes so he had um a lot of hair a lot of dark hair on the very base of his head, like definitely some curls, like little baby curls um, that were the best. And he had like the cutest chin I've ever seen in my life, like <laughs> just the most perfect chin. Um, and everyone says he has my nose. So I've looked at some baby pictures of myself too since, and I'm like, oh yeah, that's that's me, like the button nose. Um yeah, he he was a blend of both of us, though. I definitely, I've heard both sides, like, oh, he was more Scott, he was more Courtney, um, but the nurses even were like, oh, he's he's a blend of you both, for sure. So, 
he was eight pounds 14.2 ounces of like <laughs> pure, like squish and just like love and he was a big baby he was uh just perfect and thank you for asking that I think it's like those are those are the special moments to like put myself back into because every mom studies those features and and keeps them forever with with any baby so it's different when you carried a baby and then when they're born like you know them you know Mm -hmm. you knew him you knew him all along you know yep yeah yeah. Yep. And I, I'm still having moments where I'm wondering if this is real, if he was real, if I was ever pregnant, like I still have these moments where I'm, it's still so surreal. It's still so raw that I'm like, wait, no, that this isn't like my life. Like this isn't real. I've been the one to know him the closest as his mom. And that's really special. Um, and it's, it's interesting to like break, break that all apart in my head, but I was actually at a virtual mom's group last night, angel moms through no foot too small out of the Iowa city area. And amazing. That organization is incredible. And I feel so supported by other moms who have walked this journey. Um, And something that they said that just struck me was it's sometimes hard for other people to know how to have conversations about your baby with you. Because if you're talking about a grandparent that has passed or someone who has lived a very full life, there are hobbies, there there are things that that person has done in their life and lived and experienced and it's just so so different when you're talking about a baby who never got that chance to have favorite hobbies or favorite toys or favorite snacks or favorite anything that you think of within childhood alone um and so that's been one thing that I just feel like as his mom I'm like being called to to sharing his life and his legacy because I am the one that knows him the closest and his soul and and his the love that he brings with him and it's just so it's so interesting and heartbreaking in this grief journey that there's not as much to cling to for other people if that makes sense and I think that's probably one of the the hardest things where friends or family just they don't know how to relate exactly because it's just so different with a life lived I guess versus um this baby was here for an hour or this baby was here for 30 minutes or this baby was born still and and was born asleep um so yeah that's been something really interesting to just break apart and and hold on to what what I know about him and the lessons that he is bringing me to share with others too, because that is his, his soul and his life and his, his legacy, I guess. And he has a name, you know, a name that was special to you. Tell me about naming Henry. Oh, that's actually, yeah, there's a story there. Um, so we picked his middle name 
first. His middle name is Joseph. Um, we actually both have a grandfather, Joseph. Um, so right away, we when we knew he was a boy, that was really important to us. Um, so we picked the middle name first. And the first name, we kind of were going back and forth on. And um, as it was kind of getting down to the wire, we actually were not we were not sold one way or another. We had two names. Um, and we went to the hospital that day, kind of like the nurse actually in labor and delivery was like, okay, do we have a name? And um, we looked at each other, my husband and I, and we exchanged this look because we knew Henry was like the front runner by a little bit. Um, and we just exchanged this look and we said, we're waiting to meet him. But, you know, we're, we're pretty sure. One of the coolest stories that I like to share when I was still under coming out of anesthesia and out of surgery, the NICU team came up to my husband and said, what is his name? We don't want to call him baby. And I just love that they like took that time to like ask for his name. And like that just shows so much like care and love in my heart, like for that team that they took that time and and without missing a beat he said his name is Henry and so he like dad was the official like stamp of approval on the name um I was not even present for that moment so I love that story and while we were very aligned um he was the one who got to kind of officially name him and yeah I just I love that they took that time to ask his name and um says so much about them as caregivers oh my gosh I mean NICU nurses too are just like angels on earth I mean hearing the way they speak to these babies we had the same type of experience with my nephew um Nolan I mean they just they care so much and those are some of like the most amazing beautiful moments of like true compassion I love, I do love that your husband got to say the word and declare his name. I think that's really, really special. When I I was under, we didn't know the gender. And so when I was under, you know, he found it out and I could not know, you know? And so when he was telling people that I was okay, but, but that I was still under, he didn't tell anyone else the gender because I didn't even know. And so like, I, I, in that same moment, it's like, they are able to make a decision. It was like their first official act as a dad. And that was his, and that was my husband's. And I, I, I totally get what you mean about why that's special. Yes. And, and I've, talk to a lot of people about this like moms have nine months typically or any the time that you're given with your baby inside of you to bond and have that like motherly experience and it's just it's so different for dads because they're not feeling those kicks and they're not having that same experience that that moms have had for a much longer time and so I love to to make sure we're remembering those like fatherhood moments of like his time with Henry just because it was on such a smaller scale truly and so even just him getting to go right there in the morning to be at the NICU with him and how truly terrifying all of that is to any one person and then to be like alone in that situation I'm just so proud of him like knowing how to navigate all of that and 
and one step in front of the other. And yeah, so I love those holding on to those fatherly moments too. Where do you want to pick up the story from here? You so beautifully wrote about, you know, you had a car seat there and you were planning to take a baby home in a car seat. That's like your first big act as parents as you leave the hospital with a baby in a car seat and Mm -hmm. you make that drive home. And so was, I'm wondering what's the next part of the story that's important to you to share without brutally torturing you over, you know, the minutia of it. I know sometimes it's, it's good to talk about it, but I want to make you relive. Yeah. Oh gosh. There's so many important pieces. I just think words that no parent should ever have to hear or say really kind of embodied that next week, deciding on an autopsy, hearing the funeral homes to contact. Like there were just so many unbelievable moments that should just be filled with so much excitement and joy that we didn't have. We had all four of our parents here for the full week after a ton of just outpouring of love and support. Yeah, just so many, so many blessings throughout the way. Um, I just had to like pause and like fill my heart and mind with gratitude and because that was like all I had to cling to. But I think something that a lot of people don't think about is just like the true healing that happened, like physically. I mean, I was, if you've had a C-section, you know, like, I mean, you're, you're navigating such a physical journey of, of healing. And then on top of that, it was just compounded with like shock, trauma, grief. So that was the next several weeks, um, for sure. Physically, everything healed beautifully, which I'm so thankful for. We had a beautiful service for Henry back in Wisconsin. It was a beautiful October day. Um, so we, we chose a very intimate graveside service. Um, and it was beautiful and peace that you just cannot even imagine. Like it was just, I did not understand how I could feel like so much peace that day. So just some truly like divine God filled moments of comfort and strength. I definitely do not say that I did this alone, like, or that we are doing this alone. I think everything has been, um, faith, family, friends, like just like true support and like finding our next steps. So, um, yeah, that's, that's where I would take it next. I don't know. And we're still very much in it, you know, it's four months, um, since he was born and, the holidays are behind us. Um, the first holiday with grief was a lot, but we did it. So we're here and we're going to do what's next. Like that's just what you, what you keep doing. In these days when you're trying to get all of this in order and wrap your head around the fact that nothing has gone the way you planned, were you worried about how am I going to tell people what has happened to me? You know, you've, I'm sure documented your pregnancy. You know, there are, there are a lot of fringe people in your life that know you're pregnant and now somehow they have to find out what, what's happening. I am so glad you asked this because it's something that only moms I think can kind of like even understand. Like my husband was like, 
why does it matter if we like tell people at a certain time or post? I was getting so many messages from people who either shared a very close due date or they had been following very closely and and no, she's 39 weeks today. So in one week she's 40 and then, oh, it's 41. Oh, it's 42. Oh, it's 43. Oh, I have not heard anything. And I'm starting to, you know, kind of feel like a baby arrived at that point. Right. Um, and so that was very interesting to navigate because I was receiving a ton of like, Hey, I'm just checking in and having to repeat that message over and over was heartbreaking, um, to, to people who are moms or were pregnant or can understand this on like such a motherly level um it was heartbreaking for me to have to keep you know obviously yes copy and paste like you can share a simple message um but before we had like officially shared it to the social media world um that was really heartbreaking to keep getting those messages of course they're filled with like true care and love um but that was something that I don't think a lot of people realized like how many people I had reaching out. That's the one great thing about social media is everyone is so connected and, um, and aware of when a mom is about to have a baby and everyone looks for that happy and safe arrival birth announcement. Um, but when you don't see that and you know probably something isn't right, um, yeah. it's very difficult to navigate. What do you say? What do you, you know? Yeah. My husband would have done the same thing. He would have been like, who cares? Yeah. Like like it doesn't matter, but like, Uh and it's, it, it does. It sounds really dumb to worry about that in the moment, in the grand scheme of things, but like, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And moms are just a fierce loving group of like humans. So it's, it's all like, no one can imagine bearing a child or or living this because they they are looking at their own child and and knowing just how much that child brings to them and how much love they have for them so so grateful for just like the outpouring of of love and support and people who are not pretending to get it but are just here for me in whatever state that means for that day so um Talk to me about the evolution of Henry's Ripple. What is Henry's Ripple? And again, four months later, you've put together something really unique. Well, thank you. I, yeah, it's uh, this idea that we know his life has touched and impacted people that we will never meet. I am a Wisconsin Badger. I went to UW-Madison. My husband is a big Iowa Hawkeye fan. And um, we just believe that Henry led us to UNC Chapel Hill to now be fans of UNC as well. So our, our initial interest was to give back to those three children's hospitals. Um, and that was kind of our first endeavor um, through Giving Tuesday and kind of all of the, the fundraising efforts at that time. Yeah, I just don't plan to stop it. So um, we're excited to see where it will blossom. Um, but I just think 
I mean, families with a child in the hospital are just the strongest. Um, and what they have to go through is definitely unimaginable in a lot of ways. Um, and so we just want to, we want to continue to give back to families and children that are in need. And I have no idea where that will, will grow into, but I'm excited to kind of channel the love I have for Henry through Henry's Ripple. And another angel mom had said that she's learning how to mother her child from earth. And I think in a lot of ways, that's kind of what I'm seeking is a way to channel all of this love for him through a way that gives back and makes an impact in other li- in others' lives. Yeah, so I'm excited to see where, where it grows. But that was kind of our initial interest was kind of those three children's hospitals, just because we have, we all have family ties to those, those areas of the country now. And um, yeah, we're excited to see where, where it continues to grow. Well, the ripple is more like a big giant ocean wave because you're posting some big numbers and I don't want to embarrass you, but like, that's a big deal. (laughs) Well, thank you. It's, um, it's incredible how, how people come together and, um, just even through small donations can, can come together to make a really big impact. I don't know. Am I starting a nonprofit? Who knows? It is exciting to think about and to kind of channel what would be like other investments that our family would be making right now with, with a baby here. I know that is something that we've talked a lot about as um, Henry's not here with us. So for example, like at Christmas, it was like, okay, we didn't buy Henry Christmas toys. So we're going to channel that um, money and investment into another avenue. So that's something that been good for us to, um, to kind of see where that can grow. And yeah, it's family and friends at this point have all been amazing. Being from a, a small town in Wisconsin, the outpouring of love um, from that whole community has been amazing. And so Henry's Ripple. Can I ask you, um, you're obviously sitting in, in a beautiful brand new home. Can I ask you to share the story about kind of discovering like light in Henry's room? That was such a beautifully written post because, you know, there you are in your home and mm-hmm. that space was, was his, is his. Mm-hmm. So I think every parent knows the amount of stuff that comes with a baby Um, you find it everywhere. We're still finding it places. Um, I was just in the car the other day and I had like tucked, you know, like the little mirror to attach to the car seat. Like I had stuck it in my back car seat. So like, I'm still finding things everywhere. Right. So, um, the nursery kind of just became the place that we were putting things like, it was like, okay, put the stroller in there, put the I mean, over months, this, this was like a process, right? Because it's everywhere. And also like, we were not ready to tackle a lot of that right away. It became disheveled. It became like kind of a dumping grounds, right? For just like, let's just get stuff in there and shut the door. We were not really ready to spend time in there um, until recently. And I, I'm the one who, who finds kind of more comfort and peace going in there at times. Um, So yeah, I don't know about a month ago, 
after I was talking to a friend about it too, I was like, you know, this deserves some, some love and organization. And, and I want this to be a place that I can go into and feel his presence and, and talk to him. I was face, FaceTiming my sister, chatting, and was kind of working away on organizing things and just making it like a feel-good spot. The closet's a whole nother story. But <laughs> And then I was like, I'm going to leave the door open now. And so, um, yeah, I had posted about kind of the moment the next morning when I walked out of our room and I looked down the hall and what I saw, what had previously been a door closed and kind of sad appearance down the dark hall, that next morning when I walked by, there was just light streaming in. And that was just such a beautiful moment. And I think a lot of what I'm trying to seek in all of this are the beautiful moments that Henry is bringing us, even through like immeasurable grief and pain and sadness. Um, there's just so many moments where the light does shine through that nursery really was just put together for a couple like seven weeks six seven weeks we had just moved and so um in a lot of ways I can't imagine the pain of someone who worked and perfected a nursery for for nine months and and all this time um to then just to then not have a baby in it um I think in a lot of ways this move was probably divinely orchestrated too where it was like I don't feel super connected to, you know, a mural on the wall or, or anything that we kind of poured into, but we did, um, we did put it together and, and give it um, some decoration and stuff before his arrival. So now I, I've even like added some pictures of him and us um, to the nursery as well. And um, of course now some little memory items and, um, and things that are with us as well. The nursery is a lot. I've read that um, even people who, yeah, have experienced loss in all different ways um, throughout pregnancy or infancy. It's, it's just, that's that baby's home and, and space and for them to not be in it is, is heartbreaking and I just I feel for everyone who um sits in it and and doesn't have their baby with them for sure do you have answers about what happened do you need answers about what happened where do you leave that part of it I think that changes every day in my head of in terms of what I need in some ways I think I want there to be an answer and then in some ways, I think I just want to believe and trust that God needed him for a bigger purpose that I will not know. But there really are not answers. The thing that my nurse said is like nurses are trained to look for symptoms and things that are wrong and nothing was wrong. Everything was steady and there are, there were no symptoms leading to anything. So I think as a medical professional racking their brains, this is very hard on them. It happens, but it is very rare um, to just lose a, a full-term baby um, for no reason. So there was, um, I haven't really shared on this yet, but um, we did find out from a Yale doctor, we had sent our, my placenta 
slides to him to review and assess. Um, and he did find that there was a cord hemorrhage from what appeared to be over a few days or even weeks. Again, nothing, nothing that would have been identified, nothing that was even me- measurable enough to show up on any sort of um, scan or anything like that. Um, it was just a, gosh, I forget all the specific words, but, you know, a, an acute event that is unlikely to occur again is what, like, the NICU doctor shared as well. No answers, and I would tell you that I'm mostly fine with that, but it sometimes changes day to day. Like, yeah, you know, it's so unbelievable, but also, I mean, it does, it does happen, and we do have some some statistics and stuff around that. So I I will say in the first few days after we lost Henry, I thought this was like the most unique thing ever and that we were just the most unlucky and that this never happens. And with time and reading and other things, I mean, it happens. People lose babies at all different points in pregnancy and also full-term babies for no reason. Good question. I don't have the best answer because I don't really know. I think I think with healing and coping, it is nice to have some sort of answer. But then at the same time, I just I I just have to know and trust that it's it is part of God's plan and yeah. that maybe someday we will know more. Um, I also like what you told me about showing up differently and how this this experience that you've gone through has taught you to show up differently Mm -hmm. when it comes to others in your life. What does that mean? I think just showing up yourself in times of true need is the best thing to do. Obviously, we received a lot of casseroles. We received a lot of flowers. We received a lot of very special, meaningful outreach. but things that like made the biggest difference were the people who were just there. Um, yeah, sorry. I, yeah, I, I just, I, I think just giving your time and energy and love to people and meeting them at whatever place they're at that day is just the most important thing. Um, obviously, sympathy cards and words of well wishes and prayers and like all of this stuff is felt and is appreciated but I just feel like just showing up and 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 being there in whatever moment that means I have a few friends who just you know keep saying like whatever you need whenever you need it like I'll be on a plane yeah those are the the things that um just like are really felt and really impactful um, when you don't know what you're going to need. So send your casseroles, send your cards, like flowers are beautiful. Um, I received a lot of lotion, a lot of like, <laughs> sorry, that's I, it's, it's, I get that response. Like I get the like, <laughs> A lot of bubble bath, you know, and I, I have been loving the bubble baths. Um, but yes, that's kind of my little joke is um, I'm good on lotion. 
I don't need any more lotion. Oh, that was a good, that was a needed laugh. Um, yes, I think just, just showing up and being the one who's like, I'm going to, I'm going to sweep up my friend's dog here and I'm going to like organize her fridge and I'm going to like bring coffee and like, like it doesn't matter. Nothing else matters really. Just, just being there showing up. (laughs) I'm sorry. No, I, yeah, that was, that was very much needed. That was very much It was. (laughs) To bring that around a little bit. This conversation makes me want to talk to you on this day in 2023 Mm. and like really ponder the evolution of the whole situation because Mm. it is so raw. It is Mm -hmm. so fresh right now. And while I think you have a lot of perspective for it being only four months, yeah, I just, you know, it just be so, yeah, it'd be interesting to have this exact same conversation a year from now. I, mm-hmm. I agree. And I was, yeah, I was hesitant. I was like, what do I like I'm only four months out or, you know, into this grief journey? What, what do I have to like, is it so fresh and raw that I shouldn't be like speaking to it now? But um, yeah, I agree. I think it will evolve so much in a year's time. And um, I'm excited to see more of the light and more of the lessons and more of the love, um, for sure throughout all of it, because it's awful and it's heartbreaking and painful and, um, it's panic attacks in a grocery store. It's like the biggest tears I've ever cried in my life at a song that comes on on the radio. Like it'll just hit you totally unexpectedly. Um, still raw it's still fresh yeah. but but still clean to the lessons and and the light and everything that's coming from from Henry and his his soul and his life and being his mom I'm very proud to be his mom well I'm certainly not suggesting that you were not you know ready to have this conversation no I um, yeah. but you know um because I think what's cool about what this podcast has become is like meeting women exactly where they are, you know, and for someone that might be learning something new when they listen to it. And for somebody it's like, I'm right there with you. I needed to hear that you're right there with me. I think there's a lot of power in talking about now, as opposed to like only always talking about it. Once you've, once you've come up with the perfect words and 10 years later, now I know exactly what happened and where I'm at, you know, like when you deal in the now, because so much of, of motherhood is like right now feels really big and really huge, even though we know it's a blip, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I was like, am I a mom who can relate? Uh, well, it feels like no, but as you like begin to unpack that a a little bit, it's like a lot of mothers have experienced loss and have been throughout all of these moments and ups and downs. And so it's like, well, yeah, actually it is very relatable because it happens and, and babies are lost and deserve to be remembered and, and honored. And, um, yeah. So when well, I like that you have the necklace that says mama and mm-hmm. you call yourself a mom, you're not an almost mom or a coulda, woulda, shoulda, like you are a mom, you are Henry's yeah. mom. 
So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's that's been important, and I have a whole slew of necklaces to pick from each day. Um, oh, but, but yes, I I want that for for other moms too. I think this topic of loss can be so hush hush, and so you feel like if you're at a cocktail party, that's like you know the worst thing to lead with because it's it's not fun to talk about. It's not beautiful. It's it's real. It's raw. It's like yeah, in the trenches of just grief um but I just I want other moms to feel inspired and and given permission to honor their angels and their babies and um and really feel like I'm a mom like no matter what what happens that can't be taken away um so that's been important to me for sure yeah you're a mom who can relate I'm a mom who can relate. And you're on a mother level. (laughs) (laughs) Is there anything else that you just really want people to know about you or to know about your experience or to walk away with? Since this is mothers, be vigilant and be your own advocate during pregnancy. Um, I've talked to lots of moms now who are pregnant and like follow that intuition, like follow your motherly intuition in whatever way that means, you will know. Um, I often think about like how I just knew, like I knew that we had to go. And of course, when we arrived, things were okay. But if I would have been like down the road, grabbing lunch before we went to the hospital or, or something like that, and then I would have arrived to no heartbeat, I mean, I could just never forgive myself, even though, of course, like, that's not in your control. But anyway, just just stay vigilant, ask questions, don't feel like you're the person calling too much and asking for clarification on things. Um, Doctors, nurses, they all have a lot going on right now. So staying aware and educated on all the things is one of one of my little lessons to share, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. Just I just keep thinking about times are hard right now. Like everyone is going through something. There is so much that you can sit back and feel womp womp about each day. But what I'm really trying to cling to is the love and the light in the world. Um, and so I think being greeted with this experience and burying my child and facing mortality like that up close and personal I just feel like every moment is a gift nothing is guaranteed these are all cliches but I've now experienced them so directly that I can't not shout this like off the rooftop so looking for that love and light in any form throughout life is just so important in hugging your loved ones and forgiving and just leaning towards love over any other thing. I think that's, that's the mic drop. I don't know. Thank you so much, Courtney. Thank you for having me, Denise. This has been great. Thank you for listening to On a Mother Level, the podcast for moms who can relate. I'm your host, Denise Hanitka, and you can find me on Instagram at Denise WQAD 
and find the show page at On A Mother Level. And don't forget to share this episode with a friend. You have been listening to the WQAD Podcast Network.